I'm cozy in here, Roger. Well, that might be a bit too cozy. Oh, this feels so good. It's so good to see you. And can you imagine if David was right here right now? It would be Rigidity City. Are we going to rhyme again? Is this going to be the rhyming episode? I remember as we finished the, the last episode, apparently my rhymes, oh, I just closed that. My rhymes weren't that great. That's Listen, the, you have some really good moments, but let's just, we can also, we can also say sometimes, yeah, your rhyming sucks, I mean, but that's, you know, good luck. Well, sometimes in a, in a particularly busy season, you can lose cognitive clarity. And it's been. I lose my confidence. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm freestyling, I lose my, my confidence. confidence. I love it. That is the Inglorious Concords. <laughs> Flight good. of the Concords. Flight of the Concords. Yeah, good stuff. Good They're stuff. good. We don't endorse everything that they say or do. I'm just making that clear. We don't endorse. Unless they everything want to anybody us. says or does. That's true. Ooh, Flight of the Concord sponsorship. Can you imagine that? That's that would be good. So much fun. What's his name? Oh, I know. I was trying to think of the, it's that what? Oh gosh, what is? <laughs> See, we're so old. It's not. It's not Meredith. It's no. Edgar. And, and I'm. Oh, I can see Edgar. them introducing themselves. There yeah. is something. Uh, Edmund. I'm. Uh, I I'm <laughs> Lamont. No, I'm close. I'm getting closer. That is... It's. Oh gosh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of old age. You visited our parents over the weekend. I did. Well, ouch. Uh, I, I did. clearly in the fourth quarter. I did visit that, our parents. actually said they're in overtime. <laughs> well, they're not in overtime. Uh, the gal who... to be in 90 to be overtime? <laughs> no. It, so I was listening. You know, I saw this uh, um, Guinness Book of World Records. Okay. They and I guess they I didn't realize it, so they have these like ongoing things that they chart and track, but the currently oldest living human being, okay, first of all, man or woman? Guess woman. Woman, okay, classic, absolutely. All right, um, lives in Japan, France, United States, or Haiti. Well, I'm going to guess the least likely. I'm going to say she's 103 years old in Haiti. Least likely was your mistake, because that is the least likely. Just had to throw it out there. Uh, France. 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 Uh, she just overtook. You kind of think about that thing. It's kind of a... She kind of slipped in that category because... Well, the only way you overtake someone is if someone passes. So... So the gal in Japan Passing, died, <laughs> yep. and this made her, so her age. So guess the oldest current living... 103. That's my number. Staying with it. <laughs> that is tragically low. Really? You have so little confidence in the... <laughs> well, sometimes when I'm freestyling, I lose my confidence. <laughs> I mean, our aunt... Um, Libby is like 94 or something, 97 or something. It's mid-90s. Aunt Libby 
Well, I don't actually. I know you're not watching, so it's okay. Um, I was gonna say 93, but it's probably older, isn't it? How old is Aunt Joanna? I don't know. I think she's 90. Mom's 84. Yeah, mom was the baby, baby. Um. So. So. Um. How old? 118. When the 119-year-old died, uh, she took over 118. Um, and the oldest recorded, the oldest recorded, also intriguingly from France, a woman in France, the oldest known person to have lived was 122 years, 66 days. 122 years. You realize how much of the of the world history that you see in 122 years? Right. All the things that you lived to, 122, like in, in what is this, 2022, that means you were born in... 1900. Yeah, so 100, yeah, 118. Yeah, you were almost so in the 1800s. In your teens, you saw World War One, then followed up by World War Two. No, 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 I got it way back. No, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. For a minute, I thought Civil War, but I'm like, no, that'd be 1800s. <laughs> that would be the I'd oldest have, living person is 200. I'd have you guess her career. I can tell you what her name is. All right. Le Joie. <laughs> it's Saint Andre. Saint Andre. She's a nun. Real well, there of course. That's that that's clean living right there. And something my wife will appreciate is <laughs> she has a glass of wine every night. Good for her. <laughs> Bully for you, Saint Andre. So and she, Yes, and she's a huge fan of chocolate, chocolate and wine, so... Is she huge? <laughs> I'm guessing no. Well, think about it. Have you ever seen a person over 100 that was really big? Probably not. No. Yeah. No, as you're saying, it's... interesting. Yeah. Because when I see people that are like 100 or so, they're always very small. Um, almost fragile, although I was watching someone that was like running this thing like a, a triathlon at like 80 something and i was i'm just amazed by that oh no amazed by that no it's phenomenal because yeah well even because just where you naturally go you have to like dramatically fight that M mom and i were having a laugh this week <sighs> about <clears throat> she was just talking she said i i can't jump anymore and she almost kind of got chuckled herself. She actually tries it. Mom, I don't want you to try. Right. I'd rather you not try. <laughs> she was actually literally. Look, and, and if I, you're not sure you can jump, don't. Don't be jumping. Because that means you're also not sure if you can land. <laughs> Ain't no jumping going on. Yeah. They <laughs> so, got jumpers there. You don't. So you think about someone, yeah, that's running. And I think I'd seen like the oldest marathon runner. It was a, I might have been 80s. Yeah. It was like some. It's old. And I'm like, which would probably be our brother Dave. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Dave's gonna be Dave's gonna be running at eighty. I agree. Um, and and Lord willing, I'm gonna be hiking at eighty. That's my well. Thing. That could also um, be possible given what you're doing right now. Well, and I ran into the office this morning. I mean, I didn't run into. <laughs> I ran to the office this morning because I was late, and my phone was deactivated, so I didn't. I couldn't tell Roger that I wasn't going to be here on time. So I parked down there by your van, and then I ran all the way up here, and it felt really good. Something about a cool morning, running, and but I was praising God that I can still run. 
No, I, I in fact, it's funny it's you beautiful. say that because I've just lately had the same kind of conversation. Grateful at sixty, yep, that I can bike, that I can run, that there's still that I that because not everybody, yeah, not everybody is able to do and that. Biking and swimming are very good for swimming is the best for you because it works so much of your body. Right, great cardiovascular. Great core workout, <laughs> arms and legs, all of that, and it's zero impact unless, like me, you hit the wall. <laughs> when you're head down swimming, you do have to you do have to some every now and then peek up to see where the wall is. So I'm curious that you often ask like a person who's like over a hundred, whatever you know, what's the secret to long life or. Um, so what did that Saint Andre say? Well, she didn't. That was, you know. Although this is the fun thing is, <clears throat> I think. Well, gee, it'd be, it's kind of nice to make that extrapolation. You know, a glass of wine every night that'll do it. <laughs> That's all I have to do. Right there, you go. A little chocolate set. <laughs> and a glass of wine each evening. Well, and that's the other thing about the human body that's fascinating to me. So you have some people that take better care of their body and still die young, <laughs> fairly young. You have others that, for instance, that I know of that are in their 90s that drink, you know, vodka every day, all throughout the day, you know, and... <laughs> Seriously. Wait, you know, 90-year-olds who, yes. who are... Okay, yes. All right. And... and and mix it with, mix it with fruit juice. Yeah. And and the fruit juice they mix it with is a uh, I almost said exfoliant. It's the what's that? Diuretic. Uh, no, 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 no. It's actually a good thing when you have these things in the the fruit. It's a good antioxidant. Antioxidant. Okay. So I'm like, apparently vodka with an antioxidant drink has worked really well for this person. But no, it's just interesting. So, but 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 other people can't. If they were drinking every day, their their liver goes into shutdown. It's cirrhosis, and so the body responds differently to different things. Did but, I tell you this other thing that I, I think we may have talked about it already? We probably did. But the shift between you know in the in the Garden of Eden when when God says you know you can eat every all the plants, and the growing things. Okay. And then right after the flood, he says you can eat every living thing, like all the. Not every living thing, but the animals and stuff yep. like that. It was just an interesting shift to, we went from vegetarian to carnivores in that moment, but then even under Mosaic Law, there were certain things that they didn't eat in the carnivore right. realm. You know, it was just an interesting, I'm like, hmm, that's something that God adjusted. Yeah, I think I heard somebody reference, I mean, at least at some point, even, let's say before we get to the flood, like... Like there's no death, so with no death, yeah, you are gonna just be presumably plant, but you know because you, like death as a thing doesn't exist, so like you can't be killing animals to eat. Anyway, that was a take someone had. That uh, isn't that is interesting. So then, at some point, well, then you have when. God provides clothing for them. A lamb is killed. Right. An, an so, animal is killed. So there you have then maybe some kind of transition that you're moving. So this is the bigger question that I want to talk about. I mean, this is a can of worms, and it's one that almost we couldn't. The you couldn't have the conversation. Does God change? And so where I am, well, God does not change in terms of essential character, essence, quality. I, you know, I've said for years, God is love. God is good. God is just. Those things are never changing. 
But it does seem from Scripture, from the progression of Scripture and throughout Scripture, God changes his methodologies with, with man a lot. I mean, a lot. Like even yeah. things that he said then, this is absolutely out. Now it's fine. And even some things that Jesus did that were just fascinating to me. You know, because there was all these certain Old Testament laws. And then you had the, the traditions of the elders that were added to that. Jesus largely ignored those. <laughs> uh, he said, in fact, you guys are putting up your man-made stuff over, over <laughs> right. the laws of God. Interestingly, right. in that particular thing, he's referencing the Ten Commandments, the, the one time that God actually physically wrote the law in, mm-hmm. in stone. But anyway, uh, the first person that put me onto this was Ron Martoya in a talk that he did. I never really thought about it. He's like, does God ever change? In terms, because we always say God is unchanging and his word never changes. But God can change things as he chooses to as we go along. So you have Peter, post-resurrection, post-Pentecost. There's the, the kingdom of heaven is now ushered in, and it's for everybody. And he has this weird dream about yep. all these unclean animals, which Old Testament law, you can't <laughs> eat any of these things. And the voice of God in the dream says, rise up, kill and eat. And he's like, not so, Lord. <laughs> not, I have never. I've never, ever. He sees it as a test. Oh, I see what you're doing. This is a test. I have never, ever eaten the cloven hoof thing or whatever. I So yep. we're, that's out. There's probably some shrimp coming on the, the, the blankie too. He's like, nope, shrimp's out. No, can't even look that way. Whoa. <laughs> and, and he said, don't, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Now, we know the larger thing that he was doing was Peter still, understandably, and Paul as well in some ways, still had some reservations about, I know this is for the Gentiles, but I'm not sure it's really for the Gentiles. Or how much interaction can we have with the Gentiles? I mean... Well, they're, they're still trying to figure out this very thing you're talking about, where God is shifting. Now, you look at the Old Covenant, the Old Testament... There are plenty of clues that God was not anti-Gentiles. In fact, he does these remarkable things. No, Rahab the harlot, uh, her her faith in the God that she knows, which is very limited at that point, is credited to her as righteousness. His desire for the people of Nineveh to trust him. and That really should be properly understood. That should be one of the most scandalous stories in the Old Testament. Absolutely. Right. Because they knew absolutely that wasn't good. Not only were they just... That would be like God caring for Nazi Germany. Or... Because they were ruthless killers. Right. Not opposed to genocide. Yep. At any level. Yep. So... So, anyway... I think I threw them with the Nazi No, no, no. They're just glad they're... uh, Well, there's so many places I could go there. Right. But... So there are plenty of clues that God intended in the Old Testament that the Gentiles, that everyone was included, that actually Abraham is going to be a blessing to all nations. That, 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 so they were always trying to figure out, then what were these distinctions? What, they, all the places where God wanted them to be distinct, distinct from, okay, yeah. maybe in, in kind of clothing that you wore and... and Right. Places that you separated and, and where you... So I think they were in this tension of what you're... Is this shifting? They're hearing all these things of Jesus. They they trust him. They believe him. But Peter's words were significant. I have never done this. Yeah. 
I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm not looking to get us off here, but but realizing just part of his point here is challenge is a challenge we all have, is we grow up in an interpretation. Yes. We, we're not just taught interpretations. We grow up in one. Right. We're not taught that this is an interpretation of. We, right. we grow up in that. It's, a, it's what I've, I've referred to here as a sub- subculture. Yeah. So in the larger culture of what we would call Christianity, yeah. there's a subculture, uh, which maybe in our case was more evangelical, and then there was a sub-subculture that we were in, which was the fundamental independent Baptist subculture. Right. Within this, you know, within this larger culture and subculture. So, yeah, and you grow up believing. I mean, I I grew up believing, and I still wrestle with certain things today because of things that I was taught then that I'm like, gosh, I'm not sure that's accurate. I'm not sure that's the heart of God. Right. Well, I'm not even sure that that's what Jesus was saying when he said that. Right. But I'm taking a step further back. Okay. Well, part of what you're saying is, yes, what you're taught, but there's this other part that you observe. Yes. In a, so, instance, a classic example for me is women in ministry. So when we grew up, there's never a church service we're going into where a woman's going to give up, stand up, and give the sermon. Yeah, the woman's not going to stand up and give the announcements. Right. So, in other words... She could probably do an announcement for the women's potluck, maybe, (laughs) because she's only addressing women. And she could teach a Sunday school class for kids. Yep. Well, where I'm getting is, long before... Any anyone in our culture said what women and men were to do in the church. We we we, we learned certain things from observation. Right. So, right. in other words, it's where I want to say is is even when we're coming to interpretation, we never start at ground zero. We grow up in an interpretation. Wait, you grow up. I'm talking about before anyone says anything. How whether your family prays or not, like if your family doesn't believe in God, th- there's not prayer going on. In other words, it. So before they even kind of give instruction, you cannot. His name's not coming up. There's no. Um, you grow up in an interpretation, even where it's not taught. Right. So what was fascinating to me is Peter. He he describes that interpretation he grew up in. He he doesn't even say no. The scriptures. That goes against scriptures. He says, "I've never done that. Yeah. I, nobody I know has ever done that." He's that's descri- an, yeah, that's an interesting. He's take describing. On that. He's not. He doesn't say God's word says that I can't. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> he's he's describing the story. So he's resisting, and I just realized the story we grow up in. That we grow up in interpretation, but that can work against something God is wanting to shift or change. He speaks, and we don't even realize how powerful that is. Because again, once again, his point is not. Oh, God says, is I never have. No one in my family did. He's, there's this power to this thing. Anyway. Yeah. But So it poses the question for me, does God still shift and change things today? In other words, not just in the first century as the church was being birthed. Because it, let's, let's take uh, something like cessationism. So there was apparently a season. Oh, could you get... Oh. <laughs> Sneeze alert! Oh my goodness! Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Terribly sorry. Yep. To all of our listeners. Yeah. 
allergy season is in full tilt. In fact, weather-wise, we're expecting two inches of pollen today. <laughs> I mean, literally. That's good. You're going to go out to your car, and it's going to be, you need the snow wiper. Sorry, hon. Well, yeah, it's not oh, it's killing joy right now. No, but but there's, because I, I, I've, been, I've been teaching for years that God still speaks today. Okay, that God's always speaking. And so, and there's certain things that we've learned or that we've interpreted or that we've grown up in cultures and God's saying, I want you to grow beyond that. I want you to learn beyond that. Uh, even Paul alluded to that in a small way when he said, you guys don't need to be, you don't need to settle for just milk. You need to grow into, into more things. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will, will guide you into all things. He'll guide you into all truth. And I love that because, in other words, Jesus didn't say everything that needed said. He said that he didn't. He said, there's more that I need to tell you, but you're not, you're not ready for it. <laughs> but the Spirit of God will guide you into all things. And I realized, mm. I, I think we're, many of us want to go, no, we have the Bible. That's all we need. And whatever's in the Bible, that's what we address. We can't address anything outside of that or that seems contrary to that. But Peter was, Peter was stuck in a position of having to do something that was contrary to his Bible at that time. Right. Which was, you don't hang out with the Gentiles at a certain level and sure don't eat well I say at a certain level because there was a there was room for aliens and strangers to even become a part mm -hmm. of the camp of the, the nation of Israel but you can't do certain things so it just reminds me I think God's speaking all the time I think he's shifting adjusting changing things our culture is changing so rapidly right now and so many because of technology and other things I'm just like I can't keep up with it. So I, I'm always asking Jesus, what's your, what is your take on this, you know, this new thing that's happening or this thing that's becoming prevalent in culture? How would you have us respond to that? And, and it's not as simple as, in my mind, it's not as simple as, well, the Bible says this in the first century, da, 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 or in 2,000 years B.C., this is what God said. It's, it seems safer to do that. But I'm always asking, what's the heart of God now there was a great line such a good line in the incredibles if you watch the movie in the incredibles and the mom who's a superhero but she doesn't want her kids to really use their superpowers they also have superpowers but she's like hey kids we've just got to we've got to fade into the background we can't let anyone know about our superpowers superheroes are out you know they've they've instituted a law superheroes need to go into you know, basically into hiding so at one point you know she's flying the plane and she needs a superpower she needs one of her kids to put the invisible screen around the plane. And the, and the daughters are, she said, put the screen up. And her mom, and, and the daughters went, Mom, you told us not to use our superpowers. She goes, I know what I said then. <laughs> Listen to what I'm saying now. And I, and I just, I don't know, I just felt like God spoke to me in that moment. Bruce, I know what I said then, but listen to what I'm saying now. God speaks in the now. There, there was an idea, maybe, and, and for many there is still this idea that God stopped speaking at the culmination of what we understand to be the new testament he just right. doesn't that's it that we he doesn't speak anymore i'm like no i think god's speaking all the time i don't think god all, all of a sudden is running silent i think even in the even in the was it 400 silent years between malachi and and uh matthew whatever the first right. the first gospels i don't think god was silent there was just nothing that was written right. that we know of, that we know of, right. you know, during that that season. So it just reminded me. It, it's it's making me constantly evaluate how many things that I do or don't do are culturally conditioned, either by mainstream culture or by the Christian subculture. Right. And where do those keep me from hearing the voice of God now? 
Yeah. Bruce, I know what I said then, which is what God basically said to Peter. I know what I said then, but listen to what I'm saying now. Jesus at one point declared all foods clean. Yeah. He just flat out said, don't you understand? It's not what goes into the body. You can eat anything you want. It's eventually going to come out the other side. He said, but it's what comes out of the mouth. That's right. causing that causes you trouble. <clears throat> it's what's going on in the heart. So I'm always I'm always looking at what's the heart of God on this, and what and where is my heart in relation to God on this issue? Yeah. And so I, where I agree, I guess, and disagree, or there, where I would. So I think we can get very hung up on the idea that God doesn't ever shift or change. It's within his plan and purposes to do that. You'll see this down where, sure. even where the Bible talk about God repenting, even as it relates to Nineveh. Uh, <clears throat> Going to judge them, whatever, and then they repent and all this, and he shifts. He said, this was this thing I'm going to do, and yeah. I'm... Uh, <clears throat> so, the idea that God can shift that, even from a thing he did in the Old Covenant... Um, He's free to do that. I think for me, what's significant about what you're talking about is each time you're seeing these shifts where, shall I say, God is making a shift, Jesus is announcing it. Uh, that 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 Jesus is the one leading, even when Peter, well, Lord, he's, he's talking to the Lord. I mean, it's this, yeah. not even an angelic messenger. There's this, um, and so... Jesus has the ability to describe where that shift is. I think, so for me, the idea that Jesus would now speak against something that Jesus spoke, I guess I would have a a concern about that, or does that, where I could see totally, Jesus, totally agree. where Jesus saying, I'm actually coming to complete the law. Here were some parts of the law they had a temporary purpose or they had this season, whatever. So now Jesus is speaking. I'm actually, I'm, he's the definer. So as long as he's the definer, but for me to look back and say, okay, I, there's going to be some word of Jesus now that is changing his shift or the word that, yeah. I totally agree. So here's the, here's the rub for me. So, but what about the teachings of Jude or the teachings of Peter or the teachings of Paul? For instance, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, he said, now I've been here and I've talked with you and I've shared with you and there's more than I need to say, but you're not ready for it. But the Spirit of God is going to guide you into all things. And a second yes. component of this, he will remind you of everything I've taught. So there's this teaching oh, of Jesus. Yes. He's going to remind you of that, but he's going to teach you new things as well. Right. What I'm wondering, maybe even arguing for is that I think Jesus is teaching us some new things, even within our culture right now, and we're not listening. We're unwilling to listen because yep. it seems antithetical or it seems against maybe something that Paul said yep. or something that Peter said <laughs> yep. or something that Jude said. And that, and I understand the tension there. I, I yes, understand the tension. Exactly. So I come back to when I talk about the word of God, when people say, Bruce, do you believe that the word of God is inspired? And in fact, I'm like, well, Jesus is the word of God. So, yes, he's absolutely infallible. Nothing Jesus says is untrue or wrong. Right. He's absolutely, you know, inspired by God. Jesus said, "I not the Father tells me not only what to say, right, but how to say it." But it's interesting. I think sometimes we're reticent, and maybe rightfully so, 
to hear the voice of God, the voice of Jesus in the now through the Holy Spirit, right. who, who Jesus said will teach you, he will guide you into all things. These more things that I have to tell you that I'm not going to tell you now. Um, does he still do that today? In other words, did he only do that through Paul and through Peter and the early apostles, or is he still doing that today? Just curious. No, what's fascinating, I love the, I love the connection you made there. I hadn't thought of, so this combination of the words of Jesus yeah. and the leadership of the Spirit helps guide us with hearing God in the Scriptures. Yes. Hearing God... And why that's there's several ways uh, that that's significant, because even when you read Paul, so I've had the opportunity. I've been you know working in my eBay house, and lately I've just been scripture on audio. That's awesome. I'm just yeah. well, but the awesome thing because I tend to be this person who reads bits at a time. I get oh, you'll it's read and stop. I'll and read and thing. stop, yes. and then I stop for and then I reflect whatever. So I am just not typically at all taking the wide angle. I'm just so, I'm looking. And yet, when, when Paul wrote the letter, it was a one-piece thing. I mean, it, it was a whole. I think there's so much value in listening to the whole 16 chapters of Roman versus stopping and parsing every piece. And and then... this is pro Hey, this is probably something I need to do. I think this is a great idea, by the way. Well, but then if I'm listening... It's amazing how quickly. Well, I mean, I'm I, if I'm working several hours, it, you know, I can get through multiple letters of Paul. Wow. So not just one letter. Yeah, I'm just we're just going first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second Peter, first and second first, third John, Thessalon, Jude and those Revelation. are all, yeah. so that's all Paul in that whole stretch. Yep, Romans, first Corinthians. So, um, well, then you start. Two or three different things strike me. First of all, you start hearing Paul say things that seem to go against something else he said. Roger, this is what I this is what I was leading to, where Paul makes a shift. Even on circumcision, not circumcision, taking certain vows, not certain vows. I would Food, not what well, meat offered to idols. Was not going to allow Timothy to do it here because right. that would be in that it would be wrong. I'm going right. to do it over here though. That's just interesting. And then, but where? Almost, okay, in one setting, we don't do this in the church. Yeah. But this other setting, I'm giving all this instruction for women praying and prophesying in the church. Um, and then this whole fun thing that he gets into. That, I mean, I'm just talking about these. Yeah. Where we part, at the very least, we've got to say, listening for the voice of God in Scripture, there are tensions and there are challenges. And God, we have to trust the Spirit, at least because... We want to make it all super simple, and any realistic reading, it's not. Even this this crazy place where Paul he says, "Where he, I speak, I not the Lord." Oh, but like, what does that mean? So, or but he'll even but but here I'm going to give my thought on the matter. Yeah. So where which are the, some have said is inspired or sanctified opinion? Right. So where we need the Spirit. The words of Jesus and the Spirit of God to help us discern Paul, even as he's talking about where are the points where, yeah, he's speaking. <laughs> Here are my thoughts on where he's speaking. We're, we're asking God to guide us today and to sort through yeah. what Paul has to say, what Peter has to say, 
and I think there's this fear that you've got, you're supposed to take every single thing the exact same way, even though we know. We can even look in there, you know, where Paul says, bring the parchments. Or well, that's not a command to us to bring the parchments. <laughs> but there are these other places where we still are listening for the Spirit to guide us, the Word today, about women in ministry, about... Um, how we handle disputable matters and how we walk. Oh, and what and and what and how the disputable matters have changed radically. And which which they are in, in our culture. We don't we don't even get into the whole the the comedy with the whole discussion around disputable matters is, well, it's disputable which ones are disputable. Right. And so we have to have the spirit to help us discern. Okay, if we're talking about disputable matters. What are those places? Because there's some things we just too quickly say, "Oh, that's not disputable." So we would we would dis- we're now disputing. Right. We'll discount Romans fourteen fifty. We'll discount that the whole section there because we just take it out of the realm of disputable. Well, that may be precisely. There's so many areas we're running into that are disputable. We want to just turn into an immediate right or wrong, so we almost don't have to walk. We're, we're trying it, to turn it often into thus saith the Lord. Bruce, maybe it maybe it's even. I'm saying what even you're saying. Maybe that's part of what Paul's getting at when he says, "To the Lord, each man stands or falls." Absolutely, to his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for God will make him stand. We're make each him able to stand. Listening, yes, for the voice of God. We're listening for the way of Jesus. We're listening for the Spirit of God as we're reading the Scriptures, as we're applying them, and then at some point we just have to go in the confidence, "I am fallible." I yes. could be wrong, but here is what, as I pull together the words of Jesus, the leading of the Spirit, and this word from our brother Paul, or this word from yep. Peter, or Matthew, how, whatever, where are we, then we're looking for God to give instruction, and then we can just go with a certain confidence, and it's not the confidence of, there's no way I could be wrong, um, but it's, it is the confidence of, I've listened, I'm paying attention, as best I know what God is speaking to me, this is the way I'm going to try and going to move. And so where we encounter that with others, I think this is what can lead us to a kind of graciousness when we're encountering others, where they differ on an area that we may not even consider disputable. Um, again, a, a graciousness, a, a humility, a, okay, I could be wrong myself, and, you know, how we... But at the very least, let's not go with the nonsense that interpreting the Bible is just something simple. That 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 reading, it's just okay. You read it, and you're just going to obviously see what the obvious answer is, what the thing is. Um, there's almost an arrogance and a foolishness. Yeah, and I would to that. say let's not make a, you know a watershed issue about if you have a low view of scripture or you have a high view of scripture as defined in the theological academic world determines whether or not a person's in the kingdom. Right, because that certainly wasn't what Jesus said. Gee, I was, it was funny. I was teaching this weekend, and I just came back to Jesus said, "They're going to know you're my disciples. This is it, because of your political ideology. That is how they're going to know. No, no, your theological correctness, your right. your sound doctrine. That's how they're going to know. <laughs> how you're, you're my keeping disciples. the Sabbath? He didn't say that. <laughs> he said the way the world, the entire world, the entire cosmos is going to know that you're actually my followers 
So if you love one another. And then, of course, he even, he strengthened that word with the new command on the night that he went to the cross, or the night before he went to the cross, yep. when he said, my new command is this, I want you to not only love others as you love yourself, okay? That was really part of the old command. I want you to love others the way I have loved you. Right. Well, that to me is a game changer. Jesus loved everybody. Jesus had this, he got the reputation of being a drunkard and a glutton because he would hang out with people that ate too much and drank too much, uh, prostitutes, but also, tax collectors. And, but also the theologically flawed, the Samaritans. Oh, right. Where he could say, you worship. Your, your doctrine isn't quite sound. Right. But it has nothing to do with how he treats. Nope. There's this. And he can see, even in that Samaritan woman, he can see the searching heart for God. He can see the things she's got right. Yes. And he can see the things she's got wrong. But it doesn't shift how he responds. He doesn't, he's not cutting her off. He's not. No, and it's so funny that in, in God, the will of God and the way that God works. And I think he's making some clear points. Uh, there's a new book out by Mary DeMuth right now. I was on the launch team for it called The, most, the Ten Most Misunderstood Women in the Bible. Which is a fascinating, which okay. a fascinating read because Mary is so great about. She'll take the, the the scriptural story, but then she will add narrative all around it that is speculative, mm-hmm. but it's wonderful. A little bit like the chosen does. Yeah, like, sure. That's realistic. I mean, right. that's because it gives you an idea of culturally what this woman might have been faced with. Right. In this moment, because we just read it, we can't help but read it with a Western American mindset. No, we literally put put exactly we overlay right. our own our own experience on that. But when she talks about these different women and what they were experiencing, I'm like, that is just amazing. That is, that is so cool. But it's interesting how often God chose to use a woman in a spectacular way who was a woman that, culturally speaking, had a terrible reputation. Right. He's going to make the woman at the well the first missionary <laughs> to her own people. Yep. The one with the least credibility in one sense is the one that God chooses. And I was reminded of this when I, with another client because he reminded me of it. So, like, who's the first missionary to the, the folks over there in the Decapolis who lost all their pigs? The least credible person in the community. <laughs> the guy that's the been crazy, living... The, the crazy, crazy dude that doesn't wear no clothes. He doesn't wear no clothes and cuts himself and lives in the grave and lives in the cemetery. And he's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. I mean, I want to jump in the boat. And Jesus is like, no, here's what we're going to do. You're going to love this. <laughs> I want you to stay right here. And I want you to tell all these people what God's done for you. Right. And I just love God over and over and over. i got to teach this. This is good. Over and over again, God takes some of the least credible people and gives them the most incredible mission. Now, Bruce, if there was ever, now think about it. You think about the times... And but anyway, you talk about even how Jesus I really do have to write works in different ways with different people. But you know, sometimes he would do a healing and he would say, "Don't tell anybody." Don't tell anybody. But then other times he would say, "Well, because you're not the right missionary." Go tell. I got someone else. But look at the one who he said. In other words, in other words, if we're ever going to say, "Don't tell anybody," it would be to this guy, right? You say, right. "Okay, you're known as the loony dude." Um, listen. I've done a great thing for you, but let's keep it under the hat. <laughs> let's not say anything. But he, that's thats one of the ones he says, you go tell them. Here, that's part of my... Or he idea. heals some Samaritans. and Yeah, you go to Right. You, you that have been married six <laughs> times and the man you're living with is not your husband, you're perfect. You're the one I'm choosing. I want you to be the one that, that 
tells the world about the, the wonder and the glory of the gospel. But in one sense, that's the perfect person to do it. Right. Jesus said, well, the righteous don't need a doctor. I've come to heal the sick. And then when he heals the sick, he's like, man, tell it. And, and I think, of course, Jesus was also, he was not worried. He was never worried about his reputation. I was, I was, that was my thought yesterday. I was just struck with, I am so concerned with my reputation at times. Even when you're in certain settings or with certain people. In other words, whether you're a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter or somewhere in between, I feel concerns about my reputation when I'm in certain settings with certain people. Because I don't want people to assume, because I'm in this setting, that I'm in lockstep agreement with the... Jesus didn't worry about it. Jesus would go to the Pharisee's house, who, who, who was off on so many things, and he would hang out, he would recline at his table. He would go to the tax collector's house. Well, even worse. He would go to the lead tax collectors. Yeah. The lead trader, the lead... And announce, not, not just go to his home, no, announce... This guy has entered the kingdom of heaven. Let him tell you about it. Well, first he let, announced. Let him. Yeah, first he announced, I'm going to his house, which right. everyone went, the crowd went, oh, it was right. a collective gasp. You're going to go to Zacchaeus? Oh, I have to. Absolutely. It's critically no, it says, important. Everyone murmured. Oh, yeah. Right. So everyone. So, I forgot uh, that. Everyone murmured. Yeah. No. It, that means the disciples murmured, too. Right. Except maybe Matthew. But um, <laughs> well, Matthew might have been. I've been trying to get in with this guy for a while. No, no, I used to work for him. <laughs> yeah, I can go up a little. This would be great. So yeah, everybody is troubled by. He goes in. Do you suppose Peter said not so, Lord? <laughs> just, just for. He probably was about to say, and Jesus gave him that. <laughs> that you have not in mind the things of <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna say anything. All right, here we go. All right, but, but then at. At the end of that, again, you talk about unexpected people. He announces, "I'm going to let him tell you about what's happened to and, him." But this man has entered. Well, he says, "This man too is a son of Abraham." A son of he Abraham reinstated him in the nation of Israel, right? Because he was an outcast, right? He's the traitor. He's out. We've written you off. You're no longer. You're a Roman now. Right. You're no longer a part. Jesus says, "This man too is the son of Abraham." A, another collective gasp from the crowd. <laughs> no, I'm saying this is the. So all these people that God is using. <laughs> so, but, but isn't it interesting? So Zacchaeus, one of the least credible people in first century Jewish culture, mm -hmm. now becomes a disciple, a yeah. follower. Yeah. Isn't that, I just love that. I wonder if he was one of the 70 that Jesus sent out. You know, because we know there were 70 other people right. that he sent out on these mission trips. Uh, can you imagine Zacchaeus' story? Hey, hey, don't. Didn't I see you three months ago at the tribute thing? Yeah, I was the lead tax collector. Didn't you take a bunch of money from me? Yep, I did. Here you go. Here, here, here you go. I, and right. four, I'm going to give you four times what I took from you. And let me tell you why. I have always can't wait till the next realm. This is the, one of my questions. Jesus, what did you say to Zacchaeus? We know nothing of the conversation. Yeah. They go in the house. Oh, there's so many conversations. Yeah. They have some kind of amazing conversation, and, and Zacchaeus stands up and makes this declaration I'm in. And I think maybe he had heard the teaching of John the Baptist uh, act in ways in keeping with your repentance. Right. And so he's like, you know, if you've defrauded someone, he's mm, like, yeah, I've defrauded point. a ton of people. I want. This repentance is real. It's not just a confession of what I've done wrong, but my repentance, this turning is real. I'm going to repay back everyone. 
and give a bunch to the poor. And give the rest to the poor. Yeah. And something... Oh, this day I give half of my belongings to the poor. And if there's anyone that I've yes. overcharged, I'm going to pay them four times the amount, which was the amount, I think, in the Old Testament law that you had to repay. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking, Zacchaeus was flat broke at the end of that day. <laughs> and happy as a loon. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And it goes back to what I read yesterday about Jesus. He said, unless you give up everything, you can't be my disciple. Right. Maybe Jesus said that to him. Hey, Zacchaeus, you really, I want you to be a disciple. When I saw you in the tree and I said, come on down, that was an invitation. And I wanted to go to your house. This is what it's leading up to. I want you to be my disciple. Well, here's what I would say. I know we're getting near the end again. But to me, Samaritan woman, Zacchaeus, and others, whatever the message was, whatever the conversation was, the ones we're given, the ones we aren't, the first part of the conversation is, I want to be with you. And that shifts the narrative. I mean, when I think a key part of what Jesus said was, I want to go to your house. I think a key part oh. of what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman is, uh, could you get me some water? We could have a drink together. Could, would, would you, because to know that you're valued and cared and loved, when, when especially when you're despised, marginalized, hated, all of these things, it's once again the message of love. Why comes back to even the, my people are people who love because that is the message. And, and here's the thing: it's the beautiful thing of Jesus meeting us where we are. Nicodemus didn't want to do an out in the open meeting with Jesus because it would have posed a lot of problems for him with the Sanhedrin. So he said, "Jesus, I really want a secret meeting with you." And Jesus said, "All right, you have yeah. a secret. Yeah, we can do that. Right, happy to do that." And I was wondering: this is what I just and we don't have time to even talk about this, but this. You know, when we when we sort of grew up, we we learned one way of teaching salvation, which was born again. Well, that was just the one way that Jesus right. happened to share it with Nicodemus. With with the Samaritan woman, he he shared a different metaphor, which was living water. water. You know what I think he shared with Zacchaeus? Let me tell you about a different bank account, treasure in heaven, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Provide purses for yourself. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will never wear out. I can see Zacchaeus just eating that up. The idea of treasure in heaven, storing away. He'd been storing away treasure for years. Yep. So Jesus gives him a different metaphor. Give up the treasure here, Zacchaeus, and store it up in, right. in heaven. And Zacchaeus is like, I am in. Maybe, am maybe he in. did the parables of the pearl of great price. Yes. The, the, the treasure hidden in a field. And maybe those were the... The, re- the reason I brought that up is I don't want you to think that there's one way, there's one way that you can express how a person comes into the kingdom. You, you sort of take that person where they are, and Jesus, I think, would take a metaphor that made sense to them or made sense within the context. And to continue our theme, he's still doing that today. Yes. I can tell people, here, listen, God will give you a story for what the gospel is to this person you're talking to. What What's the, and the idea, it's not simply that I'm just going to, just a parable that Jesus gave, or just, God will give you a new one. God will give you. This neighbor you're talking to, this person, this person, this coworker, whatever, uh, and you're trying to wrestle with, what's the God? God's still giving parables. God's still speaking stories. He's going to give you those things. Um, so, oh, that's good. Best pastor's episode yet. There's probably no sound. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would just be our. Uh, did I have this phone turned on? Yep, it's on. So All right. Maybe there's sound. <laughs>
So until uh, next. Yes. What? Yeah. Okay. Episode eight. We are episode seven. Episode seven. Right. The next one will be eight. Out. (laughs) No fun. Eight is great. Dismiss that.